boy, just pushed my daughter down. And I'm thinking, what do I do here? Do I say something to him? His parents aren't here. I don't know this kid. Do I just check on Morgan? What do I do? She's crying now. So I go and attend to her and, and check on her, see if she's okay, get her to stop crying and everything. And, and she gets up and plays a little bit more. And I just kind of step back and, and let, them, uh, let them keep playing a little bit. It starts to get dark, so we go home. And she seems fine to me. And we get to the end of the night, and I go to put her in bed like I, like I do most nights, and I'm talking to her. We say our prayers, and um, she seems, everything seems to be okay. And then I said, Morgan, let me ask you something. Today, when that little boy knocked you down, should I have said something to him? I, I, I don't really know what to do. And she pulled out the puppy dog, and she did the... And I'm like, oh, man, I blew it. I had a chance to stand up for my daughter, and I didn't do it. So I remembered that. And a few months later, we were at the newest McDonald's here in town, and, and the girls are playing on the playground there, the little indoor playground, and, and I'm eating my very healthy meal, and everyone else is sitting around eating their meals, and, and it's just chaos in there. And I noticed that there was a little boy a, a little bit older, probably a year or so older than Madeline at the time. So he's probably three, she was two, and he's running around, and I see him up there kind of elbowing every once in a while or running over some kid, and, and it's just kind of causing extra chaos. But I'm not thinking anything of it other than keeping an eye And I take a bite of my sandwich, and I look back up, and the little boy and Madeline are face-to-face. He's a little bit taller, in a stare-down. And I notice that he rears back, and he hits her. And I jump up, and I'm staring, and he does it again. And by the time he does it the second time, I just yell as loud as I can, hey! And everyone in McDonald's stops and is staring at me. And then Madeline, being Madeline at the time, is still staring at this boy, and so she spring loads and just whacks him back. And Morgan is standing right by, and she yells down. She goes, Daddy, Madeline just hit that little boy. I said, I know, but he hit her first. And so I get her to come down, and by now we figured out who the parents of the boy are, and, and everyone obviously knows my family. And so we get her down, and, and I'm thinking, what do I say? You know, I, I want her to stand up for, us, for herself. Do I say, you know, nice right hook? Do I say, you know, bad, don't do that? You know, so I, I told her, I said, we don't hit. Let's use our words, you know, but it's okay to stand up for yourself. And the parents of the little boy are over here having a a different kind of conversation that I honestly didn't appreciate that much, but that's for a different story and a different time. But I learned from the first time that I was going to stand up for my kids. I was going to stand up for my daughters. And I failed that first experience with Morgan. And I succeeded, I, I don't know, in some way in that second experience with Madeline. The truth is all of us have convictions. All of us have people, have ideals that we want to stand up for or we want to have those ideals to stand up for, sometimes we fail. Sometimes we succeed. Sometimes we just have absolutely no idea how to do that. And I think our culture plays into that. We'll talk about that in a minute. But right now, we're going to talk about a story this morning, the story of the man who stood. There was a man named Stephen. He was a good man, a great man. In fact, he had been chosen when all of the Christians were gathered together 
He was one of the few, along with Philip and some others, who were chosen to serve others, to help the widows and the orphans, to take care of the daily ministry while the apostles took care of the things they needed to take care of. He was wise. He was full of the Spirit. He was full of grace, not just understanding God's grace, but grace to give to other people. And people followed him. He was a teacher. He would go around and he would teach and tell the message, proclaim the message of Christ in the synagogues and in other places. And this was a time when many were coming to be Christians. Many were coming to this Jesus movement. Even leading Jews were choosing to follow this man named Jesus who they were hearing about. But there was a group of Jews who didn't like what they were hearing so much. And so they talked and they said, we're going to talk to Stephen about this. And they began an argument with him, and they tried to talk with him. They tried to debate with him. But see, Stephen was too wise and too full of the Spirit. And so they couldn't get anywhere in their debates. They couldn't get anywhere in their conversations with him. So they had to do something else. So they did what some people choose to do. And they went over here to another group and said, hey, have you heard this guy, Stephen? He's talking about Moses and the temple in some really bad ways. We need to do something about him. And these people may have had no idea who Stephen was, but they're like, yeah, you're right. We need to do something. Hey, have you heard about this guy named Stephen? And before you know it, group think and mob mentality take over, and they go and get Stephen, and they bring him to the council. And they're standing there, and the chief leader looks at Stephen and says, there are charges against you. What do you have to say to these things? Can you speak for yourself? Now, any guilty or not guilty would have done, but Stephen doesn't even really answer the question. Instead, he says, brothers and sisters, friends, fathers, do you remember our father Abraham? How God told him to move from one land to another, and on faith he did it? And do you remember how God promised him that he would be the father of many, that, that he would be the leader, the father of a great nation? And he didn't even have a son, but he trusted in God's promise. And eventually he had Isaac, and Isaac wore the symbol of God's covenant, of God's promise. And then Isaac had Jacob, and Jacob had his sons. And do you remember how the 12 rejected Joseph? And they sold him into slavery, and he ended up in Egypt in a horrible situation, but even there, God was with him. And God brought him to a place where he was Pharaoh's right-hand man. You remember this story? And he helped during a time of famine, and people were saved because of what God has done through him. But after Joseph's death, years later, the people were still there in Egypt, and Pharaohs forgot about Joseph. They forgot about those promises, and they started treating God's people as slaves. Do you remember that? And out of that, a baby was born, and his name was Moses. And Moses was taken in by Pharaoh's daughter and, and trained, and he was athletic and, and smart, and he was a leader, but he always knew that he was different. He knew that his people were out there, were slaves. And when he tried to stand up for them, even killing an Egyptian, they rejected him, so he ran away. Forty years later, after running away, he was there in the desert one day, just going about his business. 
And he saw a bush that was on fire, but it wasn't burning up. And God spoke to him out of the fire, out of the bush, and said, Moses, I want you to do what I'm asking you to do, and that's go back and lead your people out of slavery. So Moses does, and he leads his people out of slavery, out of Egypt. Do you remember that? The Passover and crossing the Red Sea and wandering in the wilderness. Brothers and sisters, do you remember our story? But while they were in the wilderness, they got tired of Moses. They turned away from God and they built an idol. While Moses was hearing from God and receiving his commands, they were worshiping idols. Do you remember that story, brothers and sisters? And then as he got to this place in the story with all the people looking on, they were just staring at him. They were captured by his story. At first they were thinking, yes, we love this story. And now they're thinking, where are you going, Stephen? Because we don't like the tone this is taking. And he probably should have stopped there. But he says, you stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are just like your father's. You always resisted the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, and now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was put into effect through angels, but have not obeyed it. You see, at that point, the people got angry, and they started gnashing their teeth. They started screaming, It got loud. They started picking up the stones and they dragged him out. But Stephen, right as as they're about to kill him, says, look, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And he died. What's your response to this story? Because this one is a hard one for me, especially in the culture we live in. There are some inspiring things in this story for sure. To see a man who's willing to stand up at all costs for his convictions, for the truth, for the story that he has proclaimed with his teaching and with his life. There's anger that this could happen to someone for speaking out in truth. There's fear, maybe for some, because you know that these type of things still happen in the world today, even if they don't take place in our own country. Or maybe there's fear that it could take place in our country. See, there are lots of different ways to respond to this, but culture is not good at showing us people who stand up for their convictions or allowing us opportunities to stand up for our convictions. If anything, they like to show the fallen leader. If you watch the news in the last week, and really if you haven't, you've probably heard about it anyway, that a general, a leader of our nation has fallen into a bad decision. A man that was supposed to be standing on the front lines for our country and standing for his family and for the values that this country holds, instead is making decisions that could potentially put our country in danger. And that's newsworthy, and people show that. People like to see the fallen leader. Or if you're like me and you, you enjoy sports. I'm a sports fan. I like baseball. And this week, 
the Miami Marlins basically sold or traded the rest of their team, any good player that was on their team, left to another team so they could save some money. And it's a horrible move for baseball if you're a baseball fan, right? But the, C- the, uh, the commissioner, Bud Selig, stands by and has a chance to end this and say, no, we're not going to do this. This is, in, this, is in bad, this is bad interest. This is bad for us in baseball. But instead, he, let, he lets it happen because it's a small market. And he leaves a, a city, the city of Miami, with $2.4 billion in tax debt now for a team that basically is almost non-existent. Had a chance to stand up, and he didn't. Or if you like music, I like music. There's a song that almost every time I get in the car and turn on the radio, there's a song that comes on, and it's catchy, and it's upbeat. And the vocalist says, Lord, I'm still not sure what I stand for. What do I stand for? Most nights, I don't know. See, we live in a culture where we like to honor We like to pay attention to the fallen, the people that fail trying to stand up, or the people that don't know what they stand for. So what can we learn? What can we observe from the story of Stephen? First of all, the story that he tells meant everything to him. It was his story. He owned it, not only in his words, but in his life and in his death. The story had changed him, but it was also their story. They just rejected part of it. And it's also our story. See, the story of God should make a difference in our lives. The question this morning we can ask ourselves is, what difference does the story make in your life? The second thing we see is Stephen challenged the gods of their day and the gods of their history. And there were lots of different ways he could go with this. And one of the things he addresses is the temple. And he's not knocking the temple He's knocking temple corruption, but for a lot of people, the temple had become their object of worship. Instead of worshiping God, they were now worshiping the way to worship God. They were worshiping the temple. I think we do that sometimes too. For some of us, church has become the object of our worship, not God. Our worship and the way we do it has become the object of our worship and not God. How many of you today are going to leave this place saying, well, I really liked this first part of the worship. In here, it kind of dragged a little bit. I, w- I didn't care for that song too much. Greg said this. It didn't make any sense to me. Okay. And you've evaluated everything from the morning. I do that. And I need to stop because it's not about me worshiping my worship. It's about me worshiping God. We're having an experience with the creator of the universe this morning. Can that be okay for us? The third thing that I notice in here is the similarities between the story of Stephen and the story of Jesus and his death. First of all, there's a a mob scene, and they come and drag somebody away. And then there's the appearance of a trial that's not really a trial. And then you have these closing words, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. You heard that before somewhere or something like it? Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You know, at that point in time, and I would think in our world today, if someone was in Stephen's situation, most people would respond with a curse 
on the people who were getting ready to end their life or with some type of, uh, some type of, of statement of future retribution. Just know if you do this, my family's coming after you and my people are coming after you and you will be killed, you will be crushed, you will die. Stephen doesn't do that because he's learned from Jesus. And even in his last moments, he's forgiving. I also wonder sometimes, there was a man who was standing there watching all of this, who was holding the cloaks of those that were doing the stoning and encouraging them on. His name's Saul. And years later, Saul, after his name is changed to Paul, will write this verse. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. I can't help but think that later on when Paul writes that, yes, he's thinking about Jesus, but he's also thinking back to what he witnessed in this story, in this moment, as he watched Stephen being like Christ even in his death. It was passed on from Jesus through the apostles to Stephen, to Saul. So what do we do with this? What do we do? It's good to hear all these things. It's good to be reminded that there are, are men like Stephen who stood up for the faith and who died for the faith so that it could be passed on to us today. But what are we to do with this in 2012 going into 2013? Let me share a couple stories with you as we wrap up this morning. A friend of mine, Scott, uh, has a wife and, and four children, and about three years ago, his wife left him and their family. He didn't know what to do, and he struggled, and, and she was just gone. And a couple months after that, he's talking to his dad, and his dad has been listening to him. His whole family had been praying. There's all the emotions that you can imagine that come in a situation like this. There's hurt. There's anger. And he tells his dad, he says, um, Dad, I'm going to go get her. I'm going to go find her. What do you think about that? said, son, I don't know. You know, she chose to leave. I don't, I don't know what to think. Maybe, sure, go, if you need to do that, go do that. But I, I, I have a hard time understanding why. If she would leave you, you would then go after her. Sounds like Hosea, right? And he looks at his dad and he says, yeah, but she's my wife. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to get my family back. I'm going to die trying. And you know what? In that story, a few months later, she came back. And it's been a painful process for them, but two years, two and a half years after reconciliation now, their family is stronger than it's ever been. Now, I realize that doesn't always happen, but I love that story because I wonder how many of us, our spouses haven't run away, but we need to stand up in our own marriages. Or the story of my friend Brad Cox. Some of you know Brad. He was a youth minister at Saturn Road for uh, quite a while. And he's a preacher in Alabama now. One day he was reading in the newspaper that there was going to be a gospel meeting about an hour south of his town for whites only and a KKK rally to follow. And this bothered him. 
because he had just been studying and preaching on standing up for the faith and doing what's right. And so he was motivated to do this, and he called 10 friends and said, if anyone will go with me, I'll go, and I'll talk to them. Nobody took him up, and so he, he prayed to God, God, I'm sorry, I went before you. I guess this isn't my time to do this. And he says, not long after that, the phone rang, and ironically, it was his insurance agent who says, I the babysitter can stay late tonight, I'm going with you. So they drove down an hour south into the heart of Alabama, and they got to this little town and found a dirt road and went a mile back into the woods where there were two men standing at a gate. Asked them what they were doing there, and he said, well, we've come for the gospel meeting, but I need to be honest with you. We've come to tell you that we think you're wrong in what you're doing. So they checked, and they found their leader, and the leader came out, and they met. And they sat and talked for a few minutes, and, and, and Brad and his friend told them, we know you believe in Jesus, and we do too, but we've got to tell you, we don't see anything in Scripture that backs up what you're doing. Can you help us understand what you're doing here? And he said for the next half hour, the man just went on and on saying horrible things that really are not scriptural at all, that don't reflect the heart of Jesus. And he said he saw a few men behind him carrying a, a cross out that was draped in rags, and they knew it was time to go. But before they left, they just said, thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing with us your beliefs. But before we leave, we have to let you know that we believe this is against God's will and we believe this is wrong. And this leader of this racist group looked at him and said, you know, I gotta tell you one thing. I gotta give you, give you one credit on one thing. We've had a lot of people come from the media that wanna see what we're doing, that wanna ask us about what's going on back here but you're the first person from a church that's ever come to talk to us. And I wonder, should somebody from a church have gone before Brad? But I'm thankful that men like Brad go and do that. I don't know what it looks like for you. I don't know what it is in your life. There are other stories that I could tell you. We just don't have time today. So I want to leave you with a few quick things. First, we need to remember our story. We need to read it. We need to listen to it. We need to learn it. We need to live it. God's story should change us, and we need to allow it to do that. The second thing we need to do is we need to make sure that God is the object of our worship, not ourselves, not our families, not sports, not jobs, not anything else in this world, not even the church, but that God is the object of our worship. The third thing we need to do is we need to pay attention to what's going on in the world, not just in our community, we need to do that too. We need to pay attention to what's going on throughout the world. We need to pay attention to what's going on in our homes, in our culture. We need to look for places where Christ needs to be seen, and we need to be the ones that go there. We need to, be, we need to pray for those who are being persecuted throughout the world, because there are still many places where genocide and gendercide and Christians are being persecuted and even killed standing up for the faith. We need to stand up in our marriages, in our jobs, for the one who's mistreated, for the widow, the orphan, for the outsider, all the things that God calls us to do in Scripture. We need to stand up and do those things. And the last thing, just like Jesus was with Stephen, we need to know that God is with us when we stand. We get the opportunity to imitate Stephen, maybe not in death, 
but standing up in a world that doesn't always and often doesn't accept Jesus Christ. And to, by doing that, to imitate Jesus Christ. So Thursday, as you're eating your meal, and you're being thankful for all the blessings that we have in this country, the things we saw in that video, and as you're thinking about and praying for those who are protecting our nation, say a prayer of thanks for men like Stephen and for others who have come before us who have given their lives, or not, but who have stood up for the faith in Jesus Christ that we get to live in and share in and pass on today. Let's pray. Father, thank you 